too, just uh, says prepping for, for stuff this week uh, and thinking about uh, today. I had a lot of conversations with people uh, uh, over the last number of weeks that I kind of have just, they've, cu- they've come up in my thoughts and my mind over and over again. And, and so as I've been processing them and thinking about them, uh, it's kind of led me to where I would like to, to talk about um, this morning. And so for those of you who are here this morning, I believe that there's something in God's word for each and every one of you here. If you're listening online, there's no distance, space, time for God. I believe there's something uh, in, this, in this portion of the word for you this morning as well. And just, I think, just as Charlie uh, just so aptly described it, we've got to let that happen, though. We have to allow that to happen in our, in our lives. And so um, I just want to, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about something that affects every single one of us. For, for uh, it, it, so many authors of the Bible wrote about it. Uh, many of the uh, many of them were writing about themselves going through um, some of this stuff, and others were were writing. They wrote about the stories of others who experienced this, and it hasn't changed all through time and history. So many of us have ex- uh, experienced some of this uh, as well. Some of you have come through something, and you're just finished it now, and you're like, "Oh man, I hope that never happens again." Others of you, you're like right in the thick of something right now, and it's, it's uh, you're, you're not quite sure which way is up. And for others, you're like, "Life is good," and you're just cruising, and you have no idea that you're about to go through something. And it's this word called trial, trials, trials, and tests and temptations. These difficult things in our life that we don't often love. Um, I want to I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, and you just got to give grace to our media person this morning because I just handed her like a mishmash of stuff and said we're just going to go with this, uh, and then I said I'm going to start at the end. So uh, she's just she's going to do her best, and uh, we're going to give some grace uh, for that this morning. And hopefully you're able to follow along, or maybe you have to go and listen online. What was that verse again? And and figure that out. But uh, that's on me. So I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey's a guy who had this uh, radio uh, series called The Rest of the Story. Wrote a book as well, and maybe you're familiar with that. He would. Tell tell you a story, and you'd be so intrigued by, you know, the, the details of the story, and then later on, he would tell you that it was about someone famous, then you're like, oh, I had no idea that that person uh, had done these things, or how certain things were invented, and uh, there's just tons of them uh, that, that he would share and say, hey, here's the rest of the story, but uh, have you ever been in a place in your life where, you know, you, 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 you saw something, and you thought, wow, this is you know, you're so convinced that that's what it is until all of a sudden you hear more information and you're like, wow, that was nothing like what I thought it was. And maybe it happens in your marriage. You guys have a fight or in a relationship, friendship, all of a sudden, you know, you, you have this, this, this fight or someone tells you, hey, you know, this is what so-and-so did to me. You're like, wow, that person's a real jerk. And you're like, you side with them. And you're like, man, uh, you know, I can't believe that they're whatever. And so, but then all of a sudden you have the opportunity later on to talk to the other person. And then you hear the rest of the story and you find out, yeah, it was, you know, it was my friend or it was my spouse or it was whoever who was the, the one who had initiated all of this stuff. And you're like, man, how could I have felt so strongly about something at one point? And now later on, after the rest of the story, I feel so different about it. And I think that really applies to our lives when it comes to these word, this word called trials. Uh, and so I just want to read some of the things that the, that the, the authors uh, uh, of what we call the Bible, um, what, what their thoughts were on this topic. So James, James is the brother of Jesus, which is pretty amazing, just in and of itself. Uh, that, and, and as he wrote um, these, these words to uh, early Jesus followers, they've been, uh, 
They've been preserved for us to have the opportunity to read them and, and translate it into our language. But here's what James wrote at the very beginning. He gives them greetings in verse 1, and then in verse 2 he says this, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's like when you go through difficult things, count it all joy. And then it says in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work uh, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The New Living Translation says it this way, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it. He's saying, hey, you know what? When you start going through difficult stuff, testing, trial, tragedy. He says, think, I want you to think about it a certain way. Because you know why he says consider it an opportunity for joy or think about it as an opportunity for joy? It's because that's the last thing that we're going to think when we're in that moment, isn't it? You know, the last time you went through something tragic, the last time you heard something really, really difficult, maybe it was even going around the circle this morning, there's thoughts that come to your mind and it's not joy. It's not like, oh, yeah, this is an opportunity for joy in my life. This is an opportunity for patience in my life. It's not our first thought. You know, there's cliches that people say, you know, especially Christians like, hey, you know, you're going through something really difficult. Well, you know, God can take your test and turn it into a testimony. You know, God can take your mess and make a message. God can take your story and make it history or his story. And all those cliches are actually true. But in the moment, we're not thinking, well, you know, that's not how I feel right now. You know, that's, I feel like I got a mess. I feel like I got a test. And I feel like my story is like, ugh, I, I don't know. And when, it's, and when James said, knowing that as you're going through difficult things, it's producing something in you or it has the opportunity to. Consider it joy, it'll produce patience and peace in your life. And, and, and we think, like, well, how does that work? So if we flip to the back there, Deb, I want to show you just a couple of verses on, uh, just on this, like, this thought of patience. You know, with patience, I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of it. <laughs> and, you know, there's those moments in life where all of a sudden you realize, like, how many of you think you're really patient? Well, you're about to be, because it's going to be a really long message. You're going to find out how much patience you have, <laughs> Well, you don't know, right? You don't know until you go through something. So th this week, I'm like, I'm trying to jam everything into like this week, including going to visit my parents in Perry Sound, which is about three and a half hour drive, three hours and 40 minutes. So our kids, we like get in the vehicle and, and my kids take after me. So about, you know, we were in Hager, not even in Hagersville. Uh, and my kids are like, has it been an hour yet? <laughs> like, I looked at the clock and I'm like, they know better than to ask, are we there yet? But they're allowed to ask, has it been an hour yet? Because they know it's three and a half hours, and we told them four. But it's like, they're like, has it been an hour? I'm like, it's actually four minutes, you know? Like, we have not gone anywhere yet. And so then, but the, the amazing thing, like almost miraculous, is we left our house three minutes early. That is so non-devries, like it is like maybe the first time it's happened in our life. We got out of our house at three minutes before I had hoped. And as we drove, Beth's like, I got to pick up a few things in town on the way. I'm so like, okay, drop her off. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to save time. I'm going to go get gas and then come back. So I went to Toby's to get gas. And as I'm driving through, there's like gazillion construction workers and cement trucks. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like getting through. And, and I'm like, I'm going to be late. Beth's going to be so mad, you know, I'm like wasting all this time. Uh, and, and I get the gas and I get back. And, and when I get back, I'm like, she's not done yet. And so I'm like, 
I'm like, wow, this has been 20 minutes, you know, and I rushed and and, and then waiting and waiting and waiting and for 45 minutes buying bread, you know, I'm like, all of a sudden she comes out and I'm like, I'm gripping the steering wheel, but I had a plan. Like I knew how I was going to get to Hagersville faster the second time. And I told my kids, remind me, we got to take this road because that one's blocked and we can't go that way. So we get out of the parking lot. We rush down the road straight across and I turn and isn't the cement truck moved from the other road and parked right there. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? And so then, uh, then I'm like, okay, we'll turn right. And we turn right and we go this way and then we turn left and, and then they're blocking it there as well. And I'm like, then I was like a little, like I was really upset. And so the beer store was there and I'm like, ah, oh, I just give up. No, I'm just kidding. But I was like, I'm going to take the park. I'm going to take the parking lot and drive through it and, and I can get on the road. Well, they don't have a road access there. So I drive in. I'm like, I'm going to have to ramp the curb, kids, you know, and I'm, I, I see it. I'm like, you got to be, and I dropped an S-bomb. And so S-bomb, I know all you Dutch people like think that's no big deal. But, uh, you know, I dropped, at last night they thought I said F-bomb, so I just had to like, whatever. And I was like, you know, this thing, I was like, oh, and so I was like, I got to go all the way back around. Well, Holy Spirit has interesting ways of revealing his uh, voice in your life. And as we're driving, I hear Reese in the back, oh, and we're like, we're just getting through. I'm like, man, she's disappointed in the traffic too. And all of a sudden I hear it again. Oh, I'm like, oh man, she's almost a teenager. Beth, I can't deal with this. You deal with whatever her drama is. I got enough to worry about. And so Beth's like, what's wrong, Reese? And then she says, daddy needs to apologize. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Like, it's already out of my mind, right? I'm like, what do you mean, Daddy needs, what did I do to you, right? And she's like, Dad, you need to apologize. And I'm like, for what? And she's like, for the word that you said in that parking lot. And I'm like, it's just like, ding, Holy Spirit comes alive. And you're like, oh, you know what? You're right. Like, that, that, that wasn't the appropriate response. That, that wasn't worth it. That, that just reveals that, you know, there's this, this lack of patience in my life. I'm not going to call my kids trials and tribulations. I'm not going to trivialize, you know, transport issues as, you know, as, as trials and tribulations. But it can even happen with the small stuff in our life, right? It's like this thing of you start realizing how much patience or, or endurance you actually have. And, and, and as they said, you know, when you're going through some big stuff, there's, a, there's the potential for it to build some positive things in your life. They can produce things like patience in your life if you'll let it. The problem is for so many of us, we go through stuff and it just becomes this, this all out. It, it brings up the ugliest things in our life as a result. And I don't know about you when you're going through trials and tests and tragedy, what your thought process is. But I know the writers of the New Testament and, and, and throughout, the, throughout the Bible encourage us to think about this, this consider it an opportunity for patience. Well, how do I do that? Jesus wrote this, and I just, it's just one line here. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus had been talking to his disciples. He's telling them he's going to die. They're all a little paranoid about that. And then he says to this, he says, I've told you all this stuff so that you'll have peace in me. Like, Jesus, you just told us you're going to die. Like, how are we supposed to have peace when you're, gonna, when you're leaving us? Like, you're supposed to, like, conquer the world for us. And now you're, now you're leaving us. And he says, but I, listen, he says, I'm telling you so you'll have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many. I don't know about you, but when he says you're going to have many trials and sorrows, that's not a promise I want on my coffee mug every morning. That's not the one I'm thinking, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for that promise. May that come true in my life. And yet it does, doesn't it? How often it's like out of the unexpected, there's this thing that we're all of a sudden faced with, a trial, a testing, tragedy. And he just simply says, take heart, because I've overcome the world. 
They didn't understand it at that point, but they would learn later that he could conquer everything, including death, and that he was with them always. And if God is with me, what can be against me? If this trial that I'm testing and this tragedy that I'm going through, if God is with me, there's something that can come of it other than just the trial and the tragedy. And, and so it could produce patience in your life. It could produce peace in your life. But how? And I want to challenge you with this thought as we go through it. We can't escape the trials, the tests, and the tragedy. We can't. We're not going to escape those moments. They're just, and they're going to come when we least expect it. And as we're sowing seeds into our hearts, we're putting God's word into our heart, hoping it's going to grow, that truth is going to grow in our life. Did you realize the enemy comes around and sows seeds in your heart as well? He's trying to sow seeds in your mind of doubt, of guilt, of this, this, um, this, these things of fear, things that, that in that moment he just begins to put thoughts in your, in your heart. Uh, in conversations I've had, you know, there's, there's some of these thoughts that have been vocalized, and, and I've been there before myself. You know, you think about the, the last test, the last trial, the last tragedy, or maybe one down the road, or maybe the one you're in. Have you ever had the thoughts come to your mind like, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? You, you, you know, I know that, that's, that's, that some wrestle with that thought. They're like, you know, there's that spiritual thing, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, God, I think I can't handle any more, and yet here you go again. God, why are you doing this to me? For some, maybe the thought is, you know, how could God be good if he caused this to happen? God, how come you didn't stop that car? How come you didn't, how come you didn't answer that prayer? God, how come you didn't intervene? A good God should have intervened. And for some, you think, well, how can God be good if he caused it? You're like, I, he can't be. You know, or how, God, how can God be good if he even allowed this to happen in my life? God, where are you in all of this? To the point where sometimes you're like, is there even a God at all? And maybe you're not that far, but maybe you get to the spot where you think, you know what? Maybe there's a God, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't care about me. Because why would this all happen? And then the circle starts all over again. God, if you love me, why are you doing this to me? Ever been there? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Maybe you, but it might be those you come in contact with. It may be conversations you've had. And I want to challenge you with something this morning. And it's taking a look at perspective. The perspective. Because I think sometimes what happens to us is that we don't see the bigger picture. Uh, sometimes we're tempted to believe things about God based on the circumstance we're in rather than the history of who he is and the truth of who he is. Let me say that again. If you tweet, this is a good one. If it's short enough. Sometimes... Sometimes we are tempted to believe things about God based on the circumstance we're in rather than the history of who he is or the truth is of who he is. We've all been tempted with those thoughts. I listened to a guy named Rabbi Zacharias, and I'd never listened to him before because I thought he was Rabbi Zacharias. I'm like, I don't want to listen to no rabbi. I don't know what this is. And, and then people keep sending me these videos. So finally I watched one, and it was inspiring. But in one of the ones I've watched recently, he shares this story. He said, uh, he said this, that, you know, so the guy tells, tells the story of his man um, has a horse, and his horse runs away. And so his neighbor's like, oh, you know, that sucks, you know, that's, that's not good at all. You know, what a terrible, terrible thing. And then a few days later, you know, the horse 
comes back, and it actually joined a wild herd of horses. And so it brought the whole herd, all 20 horses back with him. And all of a sudden, his neighbor's like, whoa, you know, how, how fortunate is that? Look at your horse ran away and came back with 20. And so then the guy's son begins to train the horses, and one of the horses kicks his son and breaks his leg. And he's like, oh, see, you know, it's, not, it's no good. Look at what happened. The, the horse broke your kid's leg. Well, then not, not a few weeks later, doesn't the army come by conscripting men for the army? And they say, wow, he's the right age, but he's got a broken leg. We can't take him into the army as a soldier. And he's like, whoa, how fortunate it is that, that that happened for you. And as we, as we think about those things, sometimes, you know, as we see just even in one short story how the perspective changes. Whoa, this is, this is good. You know, wow, God is good. Where are you, God? God is good. Oh, where are you, God? And we feel sometimes that in the situation we're in, how we feel in the situation we're in right now is not necessarily how we're going to feel about it later. Nor does it determine whether God is in it or God is not in it. We so often are, are tempted to think that when the things that are going wrong in our life, oh God, where are you? And I want to challenge you that that story isn't new. That that happens all throughout Scripture. And for those of you who have been in Sunday school, you would have heard the story of Joseph. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I mean, there's like 13 chapters. You can read them at the end of Genesis. But here's the story. And, you know, as we, as we would think about it, I remember as a kid we used to play, hey, this game, that, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad. And we'd tell these stories. But this guy lived it. He's like, he's the 11th kid out of 12 sons, and he's his dad's favorite. Like, oh, God is good. You know, and then, and then his brothers don't like him very much because of that. And so they pick on him like, God, where are you? If you've ever been bullied, man, you ever feel that? God, where are you? Well, then his dad gives him really expensive gifts to make up for all the bullying. He's like, oh, God is good. And his brothers get even angry at him and toss him in a pit to die. See, we know the rest of the story, but that's not why they threw him in the pit. They threw him in the pit to, for him to die. And he's like, God, why are you doing this to me? You know, then his, uh, you know, some travelers come along and want to buy him. He's like, oh, God is good. They save his life. But then they sell him as a slave. You know, God, what are you doing to me? Then he ends up becoming his master's favorite slave. He's like, oh, God is good. But then he becomes his master's wife's favorite slave as well. And she tries to, to seduce him all the time. She's like, Joseph, come sleep with me. He's like, I'm not tired. You know, Joseph, come sleep with me. He's like, no, I don't want to. Right? And he's like, he runs away from temptation. We're like, wow, this guy, what a strong, amazing, God is good. Well, then she lies about him. He ends up in prison. God, why are you doing this to me? I honored you, and now look at where I am. And he's in this, in this prison. Well, in prison, you know the story that is he helps two influential men in the government escape from prison uh, legally. He helps he, by telling dreams. A God-given gift allows these guys to experience freedom. Oh, God is good. And then they forget about him. He's like, listen, I, you know, when you go before, before Pharaoh, remember me. And they forget him. And he sits there for two more years, rotting in prison. And it's not like here. There's no Xbox or three square meals a day. It's a hole in the ground. And there he is, rotting in, in prison, thinking, you know what? For two years, you know, God, where are you? I'm sure it could be a thought that would come. And then all of a sudden, this moment happens where Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph has the opportunity to come out and tell the meaning of the dream. And what does Pharaoh do? Oh, he's like, you're, you're second in command. He's like, oh, God is good. That's often how we might go through it. But what we don't realize, the moral of the story, you know, the moral of the story for some is don't treat one of your children better than the other because the rest will make their life miserable. You know, just for you parents who need that. But then the others, the other, I'm living proof. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, 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 other, the other morals of the story, um, there's lots of different things you can draw from that. But what I want to just show you is what Joseph said. Joseph, at the end of his life, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, after he had been the second most powerful man in the, in the um country, 
He actually got to set up a plan so that everybody would have enough food. And during a time of famine, he really rescued the whole known world at that point, including his family, including the same brothers who tossed him in the pit. He gave them the opportunity to move from a place of famine to move to a place of of plenty as a result of of, uh, everything that had happened in his life. And as he's there, his brothers, after their dad passes away, they're scared. They're like, you know what? Joseph was kind to us because, you know, because dad was still alive. But now that dad's not here to protect us, like Joseph's going to, he's going to kill us. He's like the most powerful man. We're done. And so they're scared of it. And here's what Joseph says to his brothers. He says in verse 20 of chapter 50, he says, you intended to harm me. He's like, you intended to harm me. You weren't tossing me in the pit out of the goodness of your heart. You know, you threw me in there to mess my life up. And he says, yet God intended it all for good. Other versions say, you planned to harm me. That was your plan, but, but God planned it all for good. And he brought, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. And when you hear that, sometimes you want to th- lean to the spot of, well, God planned all of that. So if we go back to the story, did God throw Joseph in the pit? No. Did God, did God sell him into slavery? No. Did God um, uh, lie about him so that he'd end up in prison? No. Did God forget about him so that he remained in prison? No. But for so many, that's that, that thought, you know, that, that God must be doing all of this. And there's something I want you to just realize and, and grab onto is that just because it's happening doesn't mean God is doing it. And just because it's happening doesn't mean God is, is not in it. And just because it's happening doesn't mean that God has forgotten you in it. And just because it's happening doesn't mean God can't work in spite of. And what we see with Joseph and the truth of it is, is that Joseph kept the proper perspective all the way through. He's like, you know what? I just, he continued to trust God all the way. That's why he lived to be the best slave when he was in slavery. That's why he gave his best in all the opportunities. That's why he didn't just succumb to the temptations of Pharaoh's wife. Like, my life sucks anyways. I might as well. I'm going to lose my head, but it'll be fun going. Right? Like, he didn't. Why? Because he kept the proper perspective of, I'll see the goodness of God. And it's something that for us uh, happens as you go through difficult times, that that, begin, that can be uh, shaken and challenged because the enemy comes to just destroy who your view of God is in those moments. You might be going through something really difficult, but the story's not over. God works in spite of the things that you're going through. It's like GPS. So on our trip, which is supposed to take three and a half hours, about four hours in, uh, my parents text me and say, hey, where are you? Are you here yet? I'm like, uh, nope, just in Gravenhurst. And uh, all of a sudden, they're like, Gravenhurst? What are you doing in Gravenhurst? You're not supposed to be there. And I look down, I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. And I'm like, oh, man, like, I'm thinking I'm close because it's like I told my kids four hours. It's been four hours. It's like five hours now. Uh, by the time we, we get there, and I look at it, I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. And then I'm like, real, I was already mad, but now I'm like really mad. I'm like, oh, you know, uh, just let's turn around. The, this, this thought, but as, as I looked at, you know, the thing, I'd missed a turn along the way. But as I punched it in, what does GPS do? I can still get you there. I can still get you there. And for some, you know, as you've gone through some difficult things, you feel like, wow, this has totally sidetracked me. God's saying, you know what? I can still get you there. I can still get you there if you'll get your eyes on me. If I decide I'm just going to keep driving that way, I'd still be somewhere out in the boonies right now. But God can get you there. Even though he didn't plan to be there, um, God can get you there. You know, when I was a kid, and maybe, I know you guys don't love this when I say, hey, I want you guys to say something after me. Uh, we're not that church, right? But, but. Some of you, like some, some you, you've been around church for a while, and you maybe would have heard this. When I was a kid, there was this saying that they said. They would say, God is good. All the time. Wow. Some of you were there too, right? God is good. All the time. And all the time. 
God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That wasn't just like a saying, it's, they said it so you remember it. But it's not just like, ah, uh, someone made that up. That, that's the, the truth, that God is good when? How much of the time? So when I'm in a trial, when I'm in tests, when I'm in a tragedy, God is good. This morning, I hope to plant this massive seed of God is good because what I hear too often is like, oh, I got a raise. God is good. I lost my job. God is good. You know, I'm married with three children, and this is what I always dreamed of. God is good. I'm 35, and I'm single. God is good. For some of you, you're thinking, I saw that. Hopefully your wife didn't. You know, my kids, my kids are serving the Lord. Oh, God is good. My kids rebelled. God, I didn't raise them this way. What are you doing to me? You know, God is good all the time, or is God just good when we think he's good? And see, that's what the enemy tries to do, and sow these thoughts to take you against the one person who can carry you through and produce incredible things like patience and peace in your life through it, in spite of it. Not as, not, he's not the one doing it. Paul wrote this about perspective, and I love it. Paul, you know, one of the like, superheroes of the Bible, um, uh, he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9. He wrote to the Corinthian believers, new believers. He's like this. He says, we're afflicted in every way. He's not sugarcoating. He's not like, you know, by faith, we're not experiencing any hardships. He's like, you know, now we're, we're going through some really sucky stuff, but not crushed. You know, we're, we're perplexed, but uh, we're not despairing. You know, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. You know, persecuted, people are hunting us down, but, but I'm not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And for some this morning, you need some butt knots in your life. You need some of those things where you're like, I'm down, but not out. You know, it, this is... You know, this is not what I expected, but I'm still expecting that I'll see the goodness of God in spite of this. What's the but not for your life this morning? What is it that you're going through and, and, and challenged with? I love how David writes, and we read Psalm 27 earlier, where he just simply said, you know, God, you're for me. Who can be against me? I just want to spend my days in your presence. He wrote this at the end of that psalm. Psalm 27, verse 11. He said, teach me how to live, O Lord, and lead me along the right path. For my enemies are waiting for me. See, David didn't, what, his enemies weren't right there, but he knew they're coming. And sometimes that's worse, isn't it? You know, you like, you're not in the tragedy, but you know it's coming. And your mind just begins to play games with you. With you and it's like, it's tormenting sometimes. He's like this, don't let me fall into their hands. For they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. How does he know that? You know, word's gotten back to David that his enemies are out to get him. And what does he do? He sits and he begins to write this song. And he writes this at the end. He says, yet I'm confident. Verse 13, yet I am confident. I am confident. I might, be, I might be on the verge of something difficult. I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness. I'm confident I will see his goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord, he says. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. He's encouraging himself, but he's writing to others so they might read it and saying, listen, when you're facing something, be courageous. Wait patiently for who? For the Lord. Patiently, right? Because it didn't happen. I want out of it now. I want that tragedy to just undo itself. I want it, to, I want it better now. He's like, you know what? I'm convinced I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in spite of what I might be going through. 
Jesus said the same thing. He said, you know, that sanctify uh, people by your truth, Lord. He prayed for his disciples in the garden right before he died. He prayed it for you. He said, Lord, God, set them apart by truth. And he says, you know what? Your word is truth. Do you know what the word says about God? I just want to sow a whole bunch of seeds of, of, what, of who God really is into your heart this morning from his word. You're not going to be able to write them all down, but you can find them. Psalm 119 verse 68 says this, you are good. You are good. This is what they write. You are good, God, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. In Psalm 107, he says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Why give thanks to him? Not give thanks because of what he's doing to me. He's not doing it to you. He's not saying, oh, I give thanks for everything. I give thanks for the trial. I give thanks for the tests. I give thanks for my cancer. I give thanks for what? No, he's not the one doing it. But I give thanks to the Lord because he's good. In spite of what I'm going through, God is good. And his love endures forever. Paul wrote to the Romans saying, you know, if we go through hard times, does it mean God doesn't love us? No, nothing separates us from his love ever. And it says this in James brother Jesus chapter 1 verse 17 writes, every good and perfect gift is from above. Which ones are? The good ones, the perfect ones, that's the ones that are coming from God. And here's the best part. They come down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So what does that mean? He says, I'm not, I'm not going to give you good things today, and then tomorrow I'm just going to throw some bad ones on you. Ah, i got to teach them something. How can I teach them something? Well, it's throw a little tragedy their way. And then you go through, and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to learn. What am I supposed to learn, God? What am I supposed to learn? He's a really bad teacher if that's the case, isn't he? And yet I see that so often that that's, it's just saying that's a seed of the enemy in your life because the truth is that God is good and every perfect gift's from above and he's not changing. He's only gonna give good and perfect gifts. If it's not, it's something else, but God works in spite of that. And then 1 Timothy, Paul writes them and says, for everything God created is good, everything, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. He's talking to me even about food and whatever else. He says, what God does is good. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has a person come up to him and says, um, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And he says, why do you ask me about what's good? He said, there is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus came to show us the Father, and he says, listen, he's good. And we sing the song, he's a good, good Father. Picture the best Father you can picture on this planet, and he far surpasses. In Psalm 34, verse 8, the psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that mean? Experience that the Lord is good. No matter what you're going through, God is good. And blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, because if you don't take refuge in him, you're going to be tempted to take refuge somewhere else. When you're going through a trial, through a test, through a tragedy, you're going to be tempted to find refuge somewhere. Maybe it's in the bottle. Maybe it's in friends. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, there's going to be. But he says, you know what? Experience the goodness of God and those who take refuge in him. Peter wrote, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. The fact that we're followers of Jesus is because of the goodness of God. And the last thought Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, don't despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering. Don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? Leads us to changing our mind about things. It is that goodness of God. And for some, you're like, wow, Mark, you're really like, like saying the same thing over and over and over. And I have to because I keep hearing over and over and over the God, why are you doing this to me? God, where are you? What, what happened? Why am I going? God, how could you let this happen? How could there be a God if that vehicle uh, just happened to do that? How could you? How could you? 
I'm telling you, the truth is that God is good. And if you'll open your heart to him in that moment, you'll still be in it. But you're going to go through it completely differently. We can't escape the many trials and tests. We can't escape. For some of you here this morning, you've just gone through one and you're sitting there like, oh, I made it. I don't know how I made it, but I really hope it doesn't happen to me again. Unfortunately, Jesus promises it's going to happen to you again. There's going to be stuff as long as you're alive that's coming. For others, you're right in the middle of it this morning. You're just like something has just taken you right out. Maybe it's a doctor's um, uh, diagnosis. Maybe for you, it's like you lost your job. Maybe something just out of nowhere, stuff with your kids. It just is like, <gasps> where did this come from? That word is for you to grab onto this morning. For others, I challenge you to just set in your heart that just like Joseph, just like David, just like any of the others, just like Jesus, this realizing, God, you're good no matter what. I won't change my mind on that thought no matter what. And I tell you, it will open doors for your life. It will carry you through. It will produce patience, endurance, strength in your life. It will produce peace in your heart as you go through. It's one of those catch-22s. Bad stuff's coming but you can see the goodness of God through it. He didn't do it, but he can work in, sp- in spite of it. And I'd encourage you this morning that you're the only one who gets to determine how you're going to walk through your trial. You're the only one. What are you going to do with that this morning? And I know maybe for some, this raises all kinds of questions. Let's have at it. Join a small group where you can ask them. Let's talk about some of these things so we get to that, that proper perspective of who God is because God is good. I want to sing it out. I want to shout it from the mountaintops. You are good. Not because of what I'm going through, but simply because you are good. And it's amazing at how that carries you through. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that it's true. That no matter what we see around us in our circumstances or situations, your word's true. And you are. God, I thank you for your goodness. And that your incredible goodness and love for us is the reason you sent Jesus. That out of that horrible moment... (laughs) We have some incredible, incredible goodness in our lives. Thank you for that. God, we believe that that's the same for the things that we're going through in our lives right now that are difficult. Help us to see the bigger picture. Help us to get our eyes off of circumstance and onto you. May that change the way that we walk through those circumstances. We pray for others around us this week that we're going to have conversations with, that are wrestling with these things, that are doubting you because of what they're in. God, help us to shine a light in there. Help us to plant seeds of truth into their hearts. That 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 might bear fruit and they might see how amazing you are. But above that, that they would experience your goodness. Use us this week, Lord, as we live our life on mission for you and with you. And in your name we pray. Amen.